0: So that's my outline.
1: So we'll talk about the purpose for testing, how to test, do internal testing, the indications for it, and then how to, ab- how to manage an ab- test. So the goal for intestinal Good. Antenatal testing is to improve perinatal outcomes by identifying those babies that are at risk for injury or death. So, this is to decrease our rate of stillbirths and reduce long term neurologic deficits um, or CT. Um, and there is unfortunately limited evidence to guide the application of antenatal testing. But, um, and we'll go through that, but we still, we still recommend it. So this is just some um, physiology um, just so we understand why we're doing this. So when babies get hypoxic, um, they can get acidotic and that is the final common pathway to injury and death. Um, so what happens is when babies have less blood flow, they have hypoxemia than is Redirected um, to the brain, heart, and adrenal, so their kidneys get less perfusion, so therefore they have decreased output, and therefore you have decreased amniotic fluid. Um, and then also, you have decreased fetal movement due to their energy. There's <laughs> also a vaguely mediated request that's what you get when things uh, are hypoxic. The loss of fetal heart rate reactivity and abnormal umbilical artery blood flow are the earliest signs. So there's like three signs. One is fetal kick count, and we'll go through all fetal kick counts. Um, And then there's contraction stress test, and then non-stress test. Then you have the Um, ultrasound ones. So that would be the amniotic fluid volume, a BPP, a modified BPP, and then umbilical artery Doppler. So kick counts. um, Fetal movement is usually received at 17 to 20 weeks. um, And like we talked about, it decreases when there's fetal hypoxia. And um, studies show that there's actually no difference um, there's no difference in avoiding um, that's in women who are instructed to count versus those who were not instructed to count. So it really doesn't change your management or it doesn't change the outcome is what studies have shown. Um, so there's no clear threshold to be like, I know we go through like the the 10, it's kind of like our golden number We're like, oh, if you feel less than 10 kicks in two hours, then go to the over, um, but there's no actual, data that shows that that's the magic number. So some people really believe in the 10. Some people just say if the mom feels an overall decreased sense of movement, then that's when you should go. Is the contraction stress test. We don't really do, (laughs) Um, but uh, it was used to evaluate how a baby will respond to labor. So um, with uterine contractions, they have you know less oxygen and therefore you get recurrent cells. Um, and so the rate of antepartum stillbirth within one week of a negative contraction stress test is 0.04%, so pretty good. It will make you feel good if they have a negative you know, contraction stress test. And so the way you do it, if you were to do it, is you use IV potassium or nipple stimulation the exactly. nipple stimulation works faster and is better. Um, and you're looking for three contractions lasting at least 40 seconds in a 10-minute period. So your results, you would count it, you call it negative. So unlike an NST, which is reactive or non-reactive, for a contraction stress test, it's either <clears throat> negative or positive. A negative test would be no late or variable decelerations, and a positive test means you have uh, late D cells after 50% of the contractions. And then you have an equivocal test if there's intermittent late D cells, or you have um, variable D cells or D cells with more frequent contractions than every two minutes lasting longer than 90 seconds. So long definition, but I don't think it's really that important because we don't really do this anymore um, because it, there are contraindications um, to this test, including previa, um and cervix. Um, and if they, yes, those are the contraindications. <laughs> Okay, so instead we now do the non stress test, which is based on the fact that if you have um, greater than two accelerations during a contraction stress test, then that most likely predicted a negative contraction stress test. So then it's like, okay, you don't need to not have D cells. If you can find cells then that's a positive, like that's a good sign. Um, and so, An NSD has a 0.3% false negative rate and a 55% false positive rate, and that's because there are other things, you know, that can cause a lack of accelerations, right? So if baby's sleeping, um, or if you give mom medication that makes her and baby sleepy, then um, you can get a, you know, a false negative test. And the way you do this is you monitor fetal heart rate and tachometry for 20 minutes. And you call it reactive if you have two or more cells in a 20 minute period and it's non-reactive if it doesn't meet the reactive definition um, and you have to monitor for at least 40 minutes um, if you don't have a reactive strip in 20 minutes. And then NSTs are usually done twice weekly if you're going to do it for antenatal testing. And we'll talk about the indications later. next is amniotic fluid volume. So there's two different ways to do this. One is the maximum vertical pocket, or MVP, and the the normal is defined as 5 to 20 centimeters, or you could do the four quadrant amniotic fluid index, and a normal, ooh, I switched that, sorry. The normal for the AFI is 5 to 20, normal for the MVP is 2 to 8. Sorry about that. And so the way you do this for an AFI, you kind of divide the um, abdomen into quadrants and you have the, you have your probe like uh, longitudinally, and then you look for uh, the biggest pocket in each quadrant, you add that up to get an AFI. And the MVP is just, you look for the deepest one. Um, And the ACOG actually defines um, Oligo as, an MVP of less than two. So they don't really look at the AFI. Um, they go more based on the MVP. But both of these have low sensitivity for detecting true oligo or polyhydramnose. So just keep that in mind. Um, studies you can read here, studies showed that repeat assessment usually shows that it's resolved in a couple of days. So which is encouraging but you know still you should check it out if they have an if you find an abnormal one in clinic obviously. Next is the VPP or the biophysical profile. So there's five components to that. Um, you look for fetal uh, breathing um, and overall fetal movement, so either body or limb movements in 30 minutes, and overall fetal tone, as well as the amniotic fluid volume. And they would. MVP. Like <coughs> and then plus or minus the NSD that they would do along with that. So um, a normal would be like eight out of eight or 10 out of 10. Um, and if it's less than four, then that's like really concerning and you would do that. A modified BPP is what we would probably do in clinic if you have concern of like decreased beetle movement or something else. Um, and that is just an NST plus an MVP. Does everyone feel comfortable doing this in clinic? Yeah. And this is one we don't do in clinic is the umbilical artery Doppler, but um, MFM does it, and they usually do if you're concerned about intrauterine growth restriction. And um, the umbilical artery flow velocity waveforms are usually, they have high velocity diastolic flow, and so if you have IUGR then you'll have absent or reversed end diastolic flow, um, which shows signs of fetal hypoxemia and increases morbidity and mortality. <coughs> and they use this to distinguish between, oh, is baby just constitutionally small because parents are small or is there actual placental insufficiency? Okay. And these are, um, List of and there's like a couple slides. Um, Indications for antenatal testing from the ACOG 2021 guidelines. So I won't go through all of them. I'll just go through the ones that I feel like we would see most commonly in clinic here. So the first one's diabetes. Um, And so studies have showed that, and they have compared NSTs to CSTs, AFIs, BPPs in the management of gestational diabetes, and no method has proven to be more beneficial than the other in measuring good outcomes. Um, So ACOG does recommend that you start antinol testing at 32 weeks um, if they're on medication for diabetes. Um, There is, studies have not shown it to be you know, if they have um, diet control gestational diabetes, then they usually don't need antenatal testing, or it doesn't shown shown to be beneficial. For hypertensive disorders, um, again, there is insufficient data to recommend one method over the other, and there's also controversy over when to actually begin antenatal testing. Um, ACOG for this for their chart <laughs> does recommend that if they have chronic hypertension, then you start at 32 weeks. Um, everything else, when they make the diagnosis of gestational hypertension, um, then you would start doing internal testing um, twice weekly. And then IUGR, we kind of already talked about this, but you would look at the um, the Doppler uh, velocity there, uh, the indices to distinguish between whether there's like truly growth restriction or whether it's just a small baby, and so you would start that as soon as you see that mom is measuring smaller. If you have any concerns, then you send them to MFM and then you get um, more ultrasound testing done. And then for the um, amniotic fluid volumes, I've talked about this, um, but it's important to, to measure that because if they have a low um, amniotic fluid volume or even high amniotic fluid volume, then usually that indicates a maternal or fetal problem. Um, and then oligo, you'd be concerned about like PROM versus like an actual problem with baby's kidneys. Um, and with polio, with polyhydramnios, you would um, also be concerned. And so, it's just good to get more antenatal testing. Another indication would be if they're post-term. Um, ACOG recommends starting at forty-one weeks. I recommend starting at 40 weeks. Sorry, but there are some people that recommend starting at 41, which we always like. Our practice here in clinic is that we would induce them at 41 weeks. So need to stay after that. The last one that I want to talk about briefly is the decreased fetal movement. Um, so, you'd want to get antinol testing because this is associated with adverse um, outcomes, either malformations or intrauterine growth restriction, preterm deliveries, or neonatal death um, or perinatal death. Sorry. Um, and so, you'd want to get an NST at least, but ACOG recommends an NST, and an AFI, or a modified BPP. So, what to do? If you have um, an abnormal test, always repeat the testing because you can have false positive or false negative. Um, if you're concerned about decreased fetal movement, get an NST or a B, modified BPP. If that comes back abnormal, then you get a full BPP. If that is a six out of 10 or... Um, if it's a six out of 10 and they're like term, 37 weeks or greater, then you would probably deliver them. Um, If they're less than 37 weeks, then you would repeat a BPP in 24 hours. And then if your BPP is really concerning, a 4 to 10 or less than that, then you would just proceed to delivery. If you're concerned about oligo, um, yeah, we talked about that ACOG recommends an MVP instead of an AFI. Um, And then obviously assess for rupture of membranes. Um, and then consider delivery at 36 to 37 weeks. If they're less than 36, then doing expectant management. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone have any questions? <laughs> To to mortality with kick counts. So, should we still be having people with kick counts? Does this cause them to start anxiety without benefit? So, kick counting has not shown to improve perinatal outcomes. But if you do have decreased fetal movement, decreased fetal movement is a predictor of poorer outcomes. So, kick counts doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do better, but Decre- we want to measure decreased fetal movement because that is associated with poor outcomes. Does that make sense? Like, do you Does that make sense? All right, but then like, how do you get the decreased fetal movement? You, you kick counts? Right. So, kick count. That's it. So, it's like <laughs> there's no like magic number to be like, oh, you have decreased fetal movement because you only. Felt the baby move five times in the last two hours. So, the more high benefit is in looking at the the number and counting it specifically to make sure you have 10 or that sort of thing. That's what it means, correct? There's no magic number, is what that means. But if mom is like, oh, I'm not feeling baby move quite as much as normal, then you should definitely seriously. Don't be like, oh, well, you know, like, don't look for magic numbers. This question so is there actually been studies like the, the numbers that you showed is there studies that say like seven like this this group of people say 50 women, or if they have 17 kicks per two hours and this group is 15 this, and this groups and then uh or less than this <coughs> and then they say oh well your babies died and these people's the babies didn't because there's no way they're gonna actually let that study be done yeah so what studies did they actually do it wasn't randomized controlled so do you know so it could help me study it, Yeah, no, I think the study was just looking at women who are told to count versus not told to count. So it's not comparing like certain thresholds. Yeah, like you said, that would not be an appropriate study. I mean it would be hard to say this, right? So So the BPP, does that include um, like food index and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. So if, if the AFI can change like in 40% of people in a couple days, so BPP is not necessarily that reliable is kind of how I'm doing that. Is that true? No. Not necessarily. Yeah, so I mean- it, that can change too, right? I, think it, I want to say it's like 40% of people with oligo. Yeah, about 40%. So it's not the majority. Um, those with studies showed that 40% who had a repeat study in three to four days had resolved at that point. But like, no, I mean, BPPs look at more than just the amniotic fluid, right? And if you think about the physiology, the amniotic fluid is more looking at like long-term hypoxia, right? Whereas um, like fetal movement and stuff like that would be more acute. And so- are so part of those values are- are more gonna be acute based off the way the baby looks, but but a little bit of that is the AFI, and that could be based off what you're getting. Yeah, not inaccurate. I don't think inaccurate is the right term. Could fluctuate. Yeah. Could change in a few days. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's accurate at that point, but it could change in a few days. (laughs) Thank <laughs>